welcome once again to the Nightlight Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Glynn, and I'm joined today by Simon Bennett, author of the Let's Look Forward trilogy of very easily digestible books on last day's scripture. Good to have you back with us, Simon. Uh, thank you very much, Chris. It's it's great to be back. And Simon is speaking to us from his new farm, bordering the largest wilderness area in South Africa. Are you making your own exodus from the city, Simon? Yes, I, I, I think looking at the Word of God and the world the way it is now, it is time to make some preparations for the future. And so we've been enabled to do that, which has been a great blessing. Nightlight's Interview of the Week Simon, a key scripture which you point to in these books is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, where Paul says, and he's talking specifically about the Exodus story, all these things were written down so that we could read about them and learn from them in these last days as the world nears its end. So we really do need to learn all that we can from this story because we're the ones living in these last days. I do think so. I think um, when you look through last day scripture, book of Daniel, Revelations, uh, Matthew 24, 25, there's a slight limit to the advice and counsel for the church. And so we're often looking for signals of counsel for the last day's church in other places. And we're looking through the Bible. And this verse is a huge marker laid down by Paul where he, he points out this story of the Exodus was actually written down for our benefit, who are living in the last days. And he's saying there's a lot of gold to be found in this story. And I think we're going to need that gold in the days ahead. So I think it's really worth mining that, as Paul gives clear advice, this is for us. And all the lessons they learned, all the things that they experienced are going to help us as we face the process that is going to be experienced before Jesus returns. One thing that you brought out in your book, and I never realized, is that the entire process of how God was going to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt, God explained in detail to Moses at the burning bush before he even set foot back in Egypt. He already knew exactly what was going to happen. Yes, I think it's very inspiring and enlightening to read the story of the burning bush where Moses is found in Exodus uh, 3 and 4. And there God tells him pretty much every detail of the process. He says that um, he's going to bring the Hebrews out of slavery. He says that he will harden Pharaoh's heart. He tells Moses that Moses will turn water into blood. He tells Moses that the Pharaoh's firstborn will die. He tells Moses that they will leave Egypt with a great plunder of gold and silver, and they will leave Egypt and worship God on Mount Horeb. So he gives Moses all this detail of the future. It was like an open book test for Moses. <laughs> like the book had been opened already. He'd been told what was going to happen before. And I think it's quite similar, therefore, the way we trust last day's prophecy. It is well worth paying attention to because it is... It is going to happen as it says it will happen. Matthew 24 gives us that initial clear schedule of events. There'll be great wickedness, there'll be great deception, then the abomination of desolation will be set up and there will be a time of trouble in the world. Interestingly enough, don't want to diverge too much, but the original Greek word for tribulation was constriction, if you look it up. 
And so it says this will be a time of great constriction. And I think we can see that in the world today, this constriction of freedom and the difficulties that people face due to high inflation, COVID mandates. And it's a great restriction. And I think we can see that restriction continuing in greater and greater degrees till Jesus returns. It's never completely dark when you're listening to Nightlight. And yes, you're with Nightlight. And if you're a new listener to the show, please do subscribe and ring the bell if you'd like to receive notifications of new shows. And we're trying to post two new shows every week. Our guest on the show today is Simon Bennett, author of God's Children Look Forward. And he's bringing to our attention some of the parallels between the exodus of the children of Israel from Egypt to the Promised Land and the similarities to what believers will experience in the very last days as we wait for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Simon, what are some of the parallels? Yes, so I think Paul says we can learn lessons from it, but then when we we look at the Exodus process, we see there's a lot of similarities to our present situation. The most obvious one, of course, is that we are not of this world. We are in the world, but we're not of this world. Just as the Hebrews were living in Egypt, but they were not of Egypt. And God wanted to take them to their promised land where they belonged. And in the same way, Jesus wants us to be with him. And our process is similar to the Hebrews in that we're going to be leaving this present world and we're going to be meeting Jesus at his return to be with him. And yes, that's an obvious parallel that most Christians are aware of. But you brought out in your book some other very insightful parallels that I never thought of. For example, the population problem. Well, yes. Uh, one of the, the main problems that Pharaoh saw with the Hebrews was that the population was expanding so quickly that they posed a threat. And therefore, he introduced population controls that, you know, Hebrew boys should be, should be drowned in the rivers. And if we take a, a few steps back from our current society and situation, we recognize that actually behind the scenes, this is the major concern of the elite, let's say, is the population problem. And hence the, the great enthusiasm for abortions, uh, the great enthusiasm for vaccinations, which I believe are having an effect on the population. I sat next to an Ethiopian man on the plane recently, and he said, I come from a family of over 10, when maybe we were 12, I think, in his family. His wife comes from a family of 11. And he said, we've only had one child together. And he sort of testified that a lot of his friends, it's the same thing. And he felt that it was probably due to vaccination programs in Ethiopia. But so it, it is the major problem, I think, seen by the elite is that the population is too big. And this is the same problem that, uh, that Pharaoh saw. So it's, it's, it's quite similar. Another parallel you brought out was the slavery and hard labor that the children of Egypt endured. You quoted Exodus chapter 1, verse 11 and 14. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. What do you see as the modern-day parallel to the slavery and hard labor that the Israelites endured? Well, having worked recently in the UK in uh, 
the sort of hospitality industry, I was quite surprised at how ruthlessly people are worked in the modern day. I mean, of course, we have the history of slavery in the West, but many people believe that has really continued without a race bias. In, in the West, especially now, you have a, something called zero hours contracts where you don't know how long you're going to work, you don't know how many hours you're going to get, you don't actually have employment rights because you're seen as self-employed. And it makes working life very difficult and insecure for a large part of the population. And for many, work dominates their life in such a way that there's little time for family and other pursuits. You know, the times when a woman could stay at home and look after the children, it seems to be long past, apart from for the, the most affluent. So everybody has to work one or two jobs. And it just seems that that's similar as well to life in Egypt at the time. Right. And you also brought out how even now multinational companies thrive by outsourcing production to poorer countries taking advantage of the local population who are put to work often in inhumane conditions. And another interesting point was how much of the wealth of the West has been built on the slave trade and the plantations of the 19th century. 100%. Yeah, I mean, it's just an interesting fact. What it took to stop the slave trade was literally the British government saying, we're going to give you a million pounds to stop doing slavery. And so a lot of people grew very rich just because they stopped slavery, because they were given huge amounts of money to stop, with which they were able to buy huge amounts of land and grow their, their capital. Of course, a major part of the Exodus story are the many signs and wonders, both godly and ungodly. And there are a number of parallels there, right? Well, yes, we do also see that in the times of the Hebrews in Egypt, there were godly signs and wonders, and there were ungodly signs and wonders. The magicians were doing sort of magic, really. They were also turning water into blood. They were also throwing down staffs and turning them into snakes. And of course, there were the godly signs and wonders where Aaron was, and God did miracles through Aaron as well. But we just see that very much in the last days too, that there are going to be some very satanic signs and wonders being performed. In Matthew 24, we read in verse 22 that false messiahs and false prophets will perform great signs and wonders. So similar to the times of Egypt, we're going to see satanic signs and wonders. But of course, we read also that in the last days, God's going to pour out his spirit upon all people. It's going to be great prophesying, visions and dreams. And that God will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. So there's going to be this tremendous, I guess, a clash. I think in Egypt there was a clash between the power of God and, and, and the power of Satan in Egypt. And we're going to see that same clash in the last days where God is going to manifest his power. But at the same time, Satan will also be doing his best to manifest what he has up his sleeve. And it's just an interesting parallel that in these, maybe this difficult time, the birth of the, the Jewish nation is similar to the birth of the second coming birth, that there'll be this great conflict of uh, forces at that time. Nightlight, keeping you in tune with the times. Well, before we leave Egypt and see what we can learn from the children of Israel's 38-year journey through the wilderness, there is one more significant and very meaningful parallel, which is the sprinkling 
of a lamb's blood over the doorposts. Please explain about that. Well, a hundred percent. It's just rather it, obviously it's the most beautiful story previewing Christ's sacrifice on the cross. That the blood of the lamb delivers us from the angel of death. So they painted the blood of the lamb on their doorposts, and in Revelations 12, we are told that the way we will overcome in the last days is not in our own strength, our own wisdom, our own preparations, but through the blood of the lamb as well. That is the way that we will overcome everything that's in our path is the blood of the lamb. And let me read that verse from Revelation chapter twelve, verse eleven. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. And of course, Revelation chapter twelve is the exciting chapter where we can find plenty of parallels to the children of Israel's journey through the wilderness to the promised land. Right? Well, absolutely, it, it really is. I mean, we're told in Matthew twenty-four that when we see the abomination of desolation, we should flee. And in Revelations twelve, as you say, it says that uh, you know it's this great pageant story of the dragon and the woman, which represents God's people. And it says the the dragon is cast out of heaven. And when he is cast out of heaven, he comes down with great wrath because he knows that his time is short, and he persecutes the woman. And the scriptures say there that the woman will flee into the wilderness, where she is nourished by God for three and a half years, out of reach of the serpent. And so it seems quite clear that just as Moses left Egypt into the wilderness, out of reach of Pharaoh, that the church seems to follow the same pattern that the church will go into the wilderness too, and everything that happened in the Exodus then. Will be sort of repeated by the church in this last days period. Simon, some see the wilderness as being a symbolic description of passing through difficult times. Why do you think that God's people will need to flee to a literal wilderness? There's a few scriptures I think which which lead us to that conclusion, and we're told that、um, you know the Antichrist will cause all, small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive this mark of the beast, without which they will be able, not be able to buy or sell. In the same chapter, it says that those who refuse to worship the image of the beast will be killed. And we're also told in Revelation 13:7 that the Antichrist will be given authority over every tribe, people. Language and nation, and so this is going to be a global trouble, tribulation, constriction, and therefore it's going to be every capital city, every major city, every major town seems like it will come under the Antichrist's authority at that time, and therefore to be out of reach of these things, we are going to have to go out of reach, and the places out of reach are where there's less technology. And into the rural areas, probably where there's less population. And of course, there's other examples. Elijah himself was in the wilderness for three and a half years, and these are just so encouraging for us that God has done this before, and that encourages us that He can do it again, and He will do it again for us. And He promises. He doesn't say that you will scrape together for yourself a living in the wilderness. He says, "I will provide for you, and I will nourish you, and look after you in the wilderness." And I believe we're going to be. 
tested in some of the same ways that the Hebrews were tested during the Exodus. So believers are going to be thrust out of their comfort zones, and that'll be a daunting prospect for many of our listeners. Can we find guidance and direction and encouragement in God's word to help us prepare for this big change? Well, absolutely. So therefore, we have these past papers. We have these past exam papers that God has set for the Hebrews and I guess for for Elijah as well. And so we can look at these past papers and we can see where they fell, where they made mistakes, what happened to them, where they succeeded and how God provided for them. And that just prepares us, I think, greatly for the exam paper that God's going to set us in the future. Lighting your path through the end times. You're with Nightlight. Let's go back again to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, where Paul tells us that their story was written down for our instruction as examples, as object lessons, to warn against making the same mistakes in these last days as the world nears its end. So what can we learn from the blessings as well as their many tests in the wilderness? Well, this is from 1 Corinthians 10. So this is uh, why Paul was saying these things are written. He describes their errors in the wilderness and then he says, this is for us to learn and look at now at during the last days as Paul believed he was living in the last days. In 1 Corinthians 10.6, it talks about they worshipped idols. So after 400 years in Egypt, the hearts of the Israelites was quite fertile ground for idol worship. And we have to realize ourselves that having lived, many of us right in the middle of the systems or worked in the systems and lived in the systems of the world, what is actually the state of our hearts? I think it's Tim Keller says that base, a human heart is an idle factory. <laughs> that we, we, we create them very easily. So that's just another good lesson to really check our hearts. Uh, do we worship God only? Do we turn to God only? Or do we turn to other things and um, worship other things, sometimes inadvertently, without realizing it. But that's why the Word of God is so powerful, because it's a discerner of the intents and thoughts of our hearts. And so the more we live in the Word of God, it'll shed light on our hearts and help us to recognize where we may be uh, straying. So the first one was idol worship. Then we see in 1 Corinthians 10, 7, that I think there was a local tribes festival and many men went out and slept with the wives of the, the, the women there. It says 23,000 fell dead in one day. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 7. And I guess that's just a warning about the flesh, that the flesh is always with us. And we probably recognize it is with us when we're in Egypt and going into the wilderness won't make it any less with us. Uh, we may, may think, well, once we're in the wilderness, then, then everything's actually going to be wonderful um, and we'll be all pure and, and heavenly minded all the time. I'm sure the reality is that we'll be tested and tempted in the ways of the flesh as well. And we just have to be on guard against that. And I think that's what Paul says towards the end of the passage. If you think you stand, be careful lest you fall. <laughs> because all these things that they, the Hebrews went to, we are likely to be tested in, in similar ways. Well, next in 1 Corinthians 10.8, we read that they tried the Lord's patience 
and they died from snake bites. And if we look back to Numbers 21, we read that the people grew impatient on the way and they spoke against God and Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. And so we see a lack of trust in God's program, God's plan, God's purposes, which leads to murmuring and complaining. And Paul says to us later on in the chapter, says, be careful if you're thinking I would never behave like that. This is a warning to you that you too may fall into this sin. And I think this is just really much the key point of uh, the Exodus. I think it's where I want to go with this interview too, is what was the crux of the Hebrews' problem? And I think if we went to another passage in the New Testament, it's Hebrews 3 and 4, where Paul is once again talking about the Exodus. And he speaks that the the Hebrews hardened their hearts and were not able to believe and trust in God. And the particular translation that I have is the Living Bible. And I just think it's it's just really, really good because it, it, it kind of speaks directly to us rather than in the old language. But in Hebrews 3, 7 and 8, it says, The Holy Spirit warns us to listen to him to be careful to hear his voice today and not let our hearts become set against him as the people of Israel did. They steeled themselves against his love and complained against him in the desert when he was testing them. In verse 10 it says, God says, I was very angry with them for their hearts were always looking somewhere else instead of up to me and they never found the paths I wanted them to follow. Just a very beautiful and clear picture that God has a plan. God has a program. God is in control. He wants to look after his children. He wants to perfect that which concerns us. And if we trust that, we can enter into this, what Paul calls the rest. We can enter into the rest of God and allow him to do the work that he wants to do. It's Joseph Prince who says, when we work then God rests. But when we rest in God, then he works. And I I, I particularly like a verse in Psalm 106, where David is talking about the Exodus, and he says, they soon forgot what God had done and did not wait for his plan to unfold. Praise the Lord. So God has a plan for his children. It is unfolding. It does just take patience and trust for it to unfold. But we trust God's providence that as, I mean, if he can provide, as he did for the people in the wilderness, all the the manna and the quail and the water and provide for them, he will provide the same way for us. He will go ahead of us. But we have to learn how to enter into the rest of trusting him. Enter into the rest of trusting him instead of frantically trying to figure out our own plans and programs. Like a candle in the night, it's nightlight. I quite wanted you to read, I don't know if you have that in front of you, that passage, I think it's Hebrews 4, 9 to 11, which is quite a good passage as well. Hebrews 4, verse 9 through 11 from the Living Bible. So there is full, complete rest still waiting for the people of God. 
Christ has already entered there. He is resting from his work, just as God did after the creation. Let us do our best to go into that place of rest too, being careful not to disobey God as the children of Israel did, thus failing to get in. Hallelujah. I just think it's very powerful sort of testimony that God has the plan. God has the program. I love John 15:17 where Jesus says, "My Father is always at work to this very day." Often we have the impression that we're working by ourselves or but actually God is always at work every day and it's our job to to flow and to trust and to flow with what he is doing in his plan and program and we will see him providing of course that's what Jesus did he said i can only do what i see my father doing this entering into rest and trust seems to be very very crucial for this process that we're going to go through that we we enter into the father's work and accompany him in his work the program that he has for us and we abide in the the gifts and we work according to what he has planned us to do there's another very beautiful passage i mean i also believe that part of entering to rest is 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 finding our part in the body of christ if you're a finger and you're trying to operate by yourself you're going to find it stressful and difficult and you may find that you're not really good at doing what the other parts of the body are doing and so i do think that also finding one's place in the, your local body of christ is another important aspect of entering into rest interestingly enough it's another passage which sort of signs up signals up for us a last days passage is first peter 4 where first peter 4 7 he says the end of the world is coming soon the next four or five verses it's all about the sort of working of the body he says most important of all continue to show deep love for each other for love makes up for many of your faults in this he's saying that love is a very powerful tool for us in the last days it becomes more and more important not less and less important and then he talks about the abilities that god has given us to use them in relation to the body of christ to use them and that if we're called to help others we should do it with the strength and energy that god supplies so that god will be glorified through jesus christ so it's this picture of us kind of entering into the body of Christ where he empowers us, he gifts us, he equips us. We're playing the part that we are called to play. And I believe that's also a part of entering into rest is, is becoming fully a part of the body of Christ in our area, joining with others, not being separated. And I feel the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, it says it's the Holy Spirit that baptizes us into the body. Hallelujah. So we allow the Holy Spirit to join us into Christ's body and that enables us to rest because we're part of his body and his body is working. I think that's wonderful. Shining bright in the dark night, you're listening to Nightlight. So all in all, when we look through the passages of the Exodus, in the original text, 
and we look through the New Testament passages, 1 Corinthians 10, Hebrews 3 and 4, we see that Paul is constantly saying, look at these stories. In them, you are going to find the secret. So we need to enter into rest because that's what the Hebrews failed to do. Uh, we need to watch out for idols, watch out for our flesh, watch out for the, the sin of uh, murmuring that the, the Israelites fell into. But I think it's really helpful, God willing, that we have this past exam paper that can help us to beware of these things, recognize them when we see them coming up and realize, you know, how dangerous they are. Well, finally, after 38 years in the wilderness, Joshua leads the children of Israel over the Jordan and on towards Jericho in the land of milk and honey, the promised land. The parallel for us as modern day pilgrims is obvious, but spell it out for us what we as believers have to look forward to. Well, thank you for reminding us of that. <laughs> I think that's, uh, it is so important, isn't it? That we recognize this is a process to a glorious finale. This is a birth process that will be a labor and there will be struggles and difficulties involved. But the end product is so utterly glorious that we will be with Christ again. But uh, we haven't seen him before, but we will see him for the first time, even though he lives with us and in us. But it's an utterly glorious plan that God has for his children, where he is glorified. And he says he glorifies us with him as we trust him. It's very interesting. There's actually also, Chris, a very interesting teaching about the seven nations that when they got to the promised land, they had to overcome. And the Lord said, you won't be able to overcome them. I'll overcome them through you. But again, it's this uh, very interesting parallels. Maybe it's a teaching for another day. Uh, Revelations is constantly saying to us that he that overcomes will inherit all things. And we need to overcome. There's various things of our flesh and in the world that's kind of reflected in our flesh that we need to overcome. And that's also a very, it's a very good teaching, but probably for another day. But as we dig in God's word, we do find sort of just increasing revelation that helps us to see the landscape, I think, of where we're going and what we're going to face uh, spiritually and physically. Simon, in closing, would you like to briefly share where and how our listeners can order your book, God's Children Look Forwards? Yeah, so uh, God's Children Look Forwards looks at the past exam papers that God has set. Uh, Noah's Ark, the Exodus, the story of Elijah, and the story of David. They all have in incredible similarities to the last day's process when you dig into them and you look at them. And they all tell us something about how we should behave. And David, for instance, with his attitude towards what's happening, uh, he perseveres. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't get upset. He perseveres in patience. But anyway, it's so that's God's children looks forwards, uh, looking at the past papers, the archetypes from the Bible, which will help us to face the last day's exam. And that's available on Amazon and Take-A-Lot, which I think is in South Africa. Thank you so much, Simon. And we look forward to having you back on the show soon, as I know you have so much more to share. Thank you very much, Chris. Much appreciated. And you'll find the link to Simon's book below. And if you have any questions for Simon, you can also write them in the comment section below. That's all for me for now. But I'll be back very soon with another Nightlight podcast. Until then, may God bless and keep you and make you a blessing. Bye-bye.